Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These last uh, four weeks or so, we have been looking at the idea of resurrection in the Scriptures. Uh, up until now, all of our passages have come from the book of Acts. But the last passage we looked at was Paul himself in the book of Acts speaking about resurrection uh, to Felix. So let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of the letters of Paul. This idea of resurrection uh, has been you know, unpacked so richly by Paul for us throughout the New Testament because, again, like we shared last week and the weeks before, in the early church, the idea of resurrection was automatically equated with the gospel. Whenever we spoke of the gospel, whenever the gospel was preached, whenever anyone shared Christ with anyone about the gospel, about the truth of the gospel, resurrection was just automatically part of that discussion. It was proclaimed broadly and loudly and proudly. Okay, um, and, and so this idea of resurrection is an important one. Not just for Easter, but for the gospel, for the church. Why is it that we worship Christ? Why is it that we are new in Christ? All, all of it can be tied back to resurrection. And uh, it's something that is unique to Christianity. And because it is so unique, only God himself could accomplish it. And if God accomplished it, he had a purpose. Right? Right? And so let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This morning, if you can, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14 and ending at the end of the chapter in verse 21. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and beginning in verse 14 of chapter 5, he says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, your word reminds us of our role in this new life, this new world that you have ushered in through Christ. And so, I, God, I pray this morning that as we remember the resurrection, as we remember that our new life in Christ is the result of death, not just Christ's death, but also our death to sin, 
And that we are alive in Christ, we have a new responsibility. We are new people, and we are creating a new world as you are directing. We are part of something miraculously new. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would teach us in your word what it means to be reconciled to you again, what it means, God, to take that truth and apply it to a new world. A new world that we live in, a new world that we usher in, that, that we be, that we are building because you are guiding us in that, that you expect of us, Lord, that you have ushered in through your kingdom. Wow. Teach us, God, this morning what it means, how that applies to this Easter season. But more importantly, how that applies to our, our everyday world, who we meet, who we talk to. God, is in the, in the name of your Son that we can even talk to you. It's even in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we have any hope of love from you. And because of that, God, we thank you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This week, I want us to understand and, and just kind of explore a little bit in the Gospel, or actually in, in 2 Corinthians in this New Testament passage, the idea of resurrection means a new world. It means a new world. Okay? Resurrection, we've looked at, means new life. It means eternity. Last week we looked at that, that resurrection means new, an eternity, right? An understanding of it. An eternity is this ever-present now. That's the best way that many scholars will describe eternity. It's, eternity is not this linear progression of time. Eternity is this ever-present now. It's a new time. It's, it's actually beyond time. That's what we looked at last week. What we need to look at this week is that resurrection also means a new world, right? This world that we live in uh, is the only one we've got. Would you agree? <laughs> uh, sci-fi fans, that seems to be the, uh, the theme of many sci-fi stories and movies that uh, you know, the earth is the only one we've got. Well, if it falls apart, we have to go out into the cosmos and find somewhere else to live. And, and you know, those, those science-y people, techie people, you know, they dream of that, that maybe we can leave this earth and go somewhere else and create a new world. But think about this. I mean, as children, didn't we dream about building new worlds, right? Whether you were a, a young girl at home dreaming of your new, of building a house someday and Building what? What would that world look like with children and a husband and a new house and all this stuff? Guys, we're we may be uh, different on that. We may think of building and conquering a new world, right? Is that right, guys? We were conquerors, right? We go out there with our sticks and our swords, and we're going to have battle and take over places. But we have this imagery of, of imagination where what would a what would the perfect world look like, right? Have you ever thought about that? What what would your perfect world be? And why do we even dream that? It's because if we are looking for a better world, a more perfect world, something that we can maybe shape in our own image, it's because maybe we're not content with the world that we're in now. Is there a lot about our world right now? We say, boy, that's just wrong. And boy, I wish it was better. I mean, it's just natural for us to think that. And we're always, kind of, as human beings, we're always kind of looking forward to what can be, what can we do differently? What can we create differently? What can we make that is more perfect or harmonious or it's not as broken as what we've got here, right? We're always looking to improve. 
The resurrection here, I think Paul is helping us see that the resurrection ushers in a a newness in Christ. Now, we, we see this idea primarily as new men and new women. So the individual will be made new in Christ. It is the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that we are made new men and women. But does that not also apply to a new world? I think so. So resurrection means a new reality. Uh, this world we live in is consumed with sin. The enemy, Satan, has power because we as human beings have chosen to give him that power. But through the resurrection, Christ conquered death, which was the penalty of sin, and as such, there is a new existence, a new world that God is establishing, has established through Christ, so it's already done, but it's continuing to build and change through his church, not just individual Christians, but corporately as his people. We are creating a new world. When when individuals become new people, when when lives change, the world that they occupy changes with them. It changes with them. And this is the expectation of the church. Paul here speaking to the church of Corinth. This is the, the second letter he writes to them. He's telling them exactly what it is that they are there for. And so in verse 14, Paul speaks and he says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that he that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Paul does not care about his reputation here because that's part of the reason he's writing to the church of Corinth. Actually, Paul wrote four letters to the church of Corinth that we know of. Scholars are pretty certain that there were four letters that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. That's quite a bit. And every time he wrote to the church of Corinth, he's not very happy. <laughs> if you read First and Second Corinthians, the tone throughout both of these letters is um, you're you're not doing the right thing. You're not honoring Christ. I've heard some things. Oh, I heard that you said some things about me. And he's got to set the record straight and he's got to set them straight. But he's not really worried about his reputation as much as it is the reputation of the gospel, the reputation of the name of Christ. If the church in Corinth claims the Christ, they are claiming his name. There is an expectation and Paul is teaching them. Here is what it looks like to be the church. So here in verse 14, this is where it all begins, right? For the love of Christ controls us. We must understand as God's people that in Christ we no longer control our destiny. We no longer control our world. We know, I mean, the world that we live in, that we create for ourselves, our own little bubble. Don't we create our own bubbles, right? We, we, we choose who we hang out with. Uh, we, we, we have these, we, and it's, this is good. We can have a home of serenity and protection and, and the home needs to be protected where you can be there and have rest and rest and, and peace and harmony. But we kind of shelter ourselves from the world. And as Christians, it's easy to do that. In this context where Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, the Corinthian church was so syncretized with the pagan culture of the city of Corinth. Corinth was 
I mean, it was known for a lot of diverse religious practices. It was a very, it was a crossroads of, of religion and culture and ideas. And the church in Corinth felt like they were just going to be another, just another one of those ideas and, and philosophies that's just out there. And they were just going to kind of blend in. But Paul makes it real clear. We do not control ourselves for the love of Christ controls us. It's, it's interesting here this terminology controls us. When we think of that, we think of a dictator, somebody who does not give us any freedom, right? We have no freedom to do what we want, and anybody who controls us must be our enemy. But notice here in verse 14, this control of Christ is through his love. Now that seems like a contradiction, but I think it, it's powerful here. As we read on through, we're going to see exactly what this love is. He says in verse 14, Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That love of Christ that controls us is that Christ has died. He didn't die for himself. Christ died for all. You see that? That's a, that's a powerful... I, I cannot help but think in connection with this of dying for other people. In the news just this week in southern France, there was a... a just another terrorist attack. It's become so common, it's not even on the front page of the news anymore. It's, it's kind of one of those stories that kind of get shuffled in the back. But there was another terrorist attack in southern France. A, a lone gunman, a jihadist, crying, Allahu Akbar, starts shooting up a store. And the policemen arrive, and a French policeman sacrifices himself as a hostage so that hostages will be released. He, he negotiates with the terrorists and says, take me as a policeman as your hostage. I'm more valuable than this woman over here. And he lets hostages go in trading for the policeman. The French policeman ends up getting shot and dies several hours later. He is being lauded this morning in France as a hero of sacrificing himself for the innocent. This is what Christ did, but even so much more. Christ sacrificed himself. He died for all. And the reason he does this is not... Yes, Christ is glorified in this so that the Father is glorified. But what the, where the glory comes from is that in, fifth, in verse uh, at the end of verse 14, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have lived in verse 15... And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See right there in verse 15? Christ died and was raised so that God would be glorified and God is glorified through the lives of those that were redeemed. Through the lives of those that he sacrificed himself for. He, Christ died for all. So that those who live in Christ may no longer live for themselves, but for God and for Christ who for their sake died and was raised. Now that's an amazing introduction here. If lives are turned around, if new men and women live in this fallen, broken world, will it not actually change with it? Sure. When we think about what a world is, the, the, of course, the, the idea here, world, is 
uh, is just the, the natural existence of which we are a part of. Right. We have our societies, we have our, uh, our families, we have our culture, we have our, our, our religious section. Now, in the, our modern age, we have categorized everything. You have your religious life, you have your work life, you have your married life, you have your family life. But the idea of world here is that all of these different categories that in our modern context that we have isolated things, this idea of world here is that it all interacts together. It's all part of one existence. It's all part of one life. To isolate and categorize different aspects of our life is a modern new thing. It was not a part of the ancient world. And so when our lives are changed, the world around us changes with it. You see, Christ's resurrection, say at the end of verse 15, where Paul emphasizes, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, that clearly directs, directly emphasizes the resurrection, right? To raise from the dead means that you were dead. So it's a two-part thing. Christ did die, and we will remember that this week, particularly Friday. Traditionally, this is the good... Friday, before the resurrection Sunday. When Christ died and was resurrected, see, Christ's resurrection ushers in a new world. It's one, at Christmas time, we also see this, we seem to emphasize this more at Christmas time. The birth of Christ ushered in a new world, because when the angels proclaim to the shepherds, there is a new Savior who has been born. To save the world. But at the resurrection is when this is accomplished. Christ's resurrection brings in a new world. Now this new world is totally different from the world we know. Because the world we know is tied into the flesh. Right? How many of us have a body that is uh, uh, constantly causing you problems? The flesh. When we think about the idea of the flesh, it's not a very positive thing, as we get older especially, right? All of our aches and pains and our woes and our miseries. And The older we get, the more we realize, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're broken down people. We're, whenever we get sick, we realize this flesh that we're in is not perfect. But this new world that Christ ushers in... His resurrection brings a new world that is spirit. Notice that. This, this distinction here between the flesh and the spirit. This new world has a new quality to it. Right? There's a new quality to it. There's a new significance to this world we live in. This world we live in that we know is fallen and broken and dirty and, 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 and just Harsh, the new world that we have in Christ through His resurrection is a world of spirit. When we think of the Holy Spirit, when we think of the life of the Spirit, what do we think of? We think of that holy perfection of God. Right? The spirit of our, of our lives, the spirit of this world we live in now takes on the spirit of Christ. Right? Because the thing about it, the, the, the old world that we are a part of as sinners, that we still have to live in, right? 
What's the spirit of this world? It's the spirit of Satan. It's the spirit of selfishness. It's the spirit of sin. But the new world that we are a part of in Christ is this new world of spirit here. Right? As Christ is resurrected from the dead, he's the same Christ, but he's definitely different. If you remember, when he first comes out of the tomb, he forbids his disciples from touching him because he had not yet ascended to the Father. Because that was a new body, a new existence, a new life, a new world. You see that? And so there's this new quality to the world we live in. It's this life of the Spirit. And this new life is ushered in from the resurrection. It, it, It is ushered in, it is birthed through death. We talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. The new life in Christ, the new Christian life is ushered in through the death of our sin. Right? We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Take that into the same idea of this new world that God expects through his church because Christ, in this new life of resurrection, there is now birthed from death this new life of the Spirit, this new world, this new existence of the Spirit, and it's all through the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Let's continue down here in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. See, here's the difference here. There's this expectation or or this reality that the flesh, yes, we do have, I mean, we know each other by the physical presence that we have, right? Right? I mean, I can go and shake your hand and we can talk and we can have this physical interaction, this physical relationship through speaking to one another and even touching and holding hands and hugging one another. There's this physical flesh that we embody that's part of who we are. But Christ here is regarded, yes, he was once regarded in the flesh, rightly so, and but he is now regarded that way no longer. Same thing with you and I. If we are new in Christ, there is this both-and existence. We're still in this sinful flesh, but there's a new part of us that we regard out that is so much better than the flesh. Don't we have a new spirit in Christ? And do we not see each other as Christians in Christ? We see the spirit of Christ in us rather than the, the, the failures of our flesh. Right. So verse 16, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Paul is connecting directly in verse 16 and 17. Just as Christ is no longer regarded in the flesh, Christ is now regarded in the Spirit. In the same way in verse 17, anyone individually who is in Christ they are new, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what is this new? It's the new life of the Spirit in us. And if we actually truly understand this and have experienced this, we, we will, we will know there's something new about me I cannot explain. It's not of this fleshly world. It is something that is of the supernatural, of the spiritual realm that I cannot fathom or understand, but it has definitely occurred and I'm new in Christ. You see that? So not only is there a new quality 
of the world that we live in through Christ's resurrection. There's a new kind of reality. It's hard for us to fathom here. This new, rea- this new kind of reality that we are in uh, is difficult to verify because it's not something that the world that we know has built. Because if it's up to the, the, the sinful world that we live in to create a new world, it would definitely have flaws because the builder who is flawed builds a flawed world. So if there's a new world of spirit, if there's a new spiritual existence for God's people, then the, or, the originator of this new world himself must be perfect. And if he is perfect, then everything that he builds is going to be perfect. And so this new world that we live in is a new kind of world. It's a reality that we cannot necessarily measure with human standards. It's a new world that we cannot necessarily calculate or, or try to analyze because it is so foreign to our concept of what the world should be. And this comes in through the resurrection. Turn, look here in verse 18. Paul continues, he says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God here is reconciling the world to himself and then giving us responsibility to continue to reconcile a fallen, broken world with a perfectly holy God. How does that happen? It only happens through Christ. Christ himself died and was raised from the dead. Likewise, those of us who are bought by that price, those of us who embrace Christ in that manner, where we die to our old self and are raised new in Christ, we are now given a responsibility by God who is building a new world in verse 19. He has reconciled the world to himself through Christ. And what he has done here in this reconciliation is that he is no longer counting their trespasses against them. And then giving us trust. He's entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. He's entrusting to us this gospel. So this new world that we are a part of as Christians is very complicated, but still very simple. This new world that we have been given, we have been, God has trusted us with the message of Christ of reconciliation. He has entrusted that with us. What does that mean? <laughs> if you've been given trust by your employer, if you've been given trust by your spouse, Parents, if you have been given the trust of your children, is there responsibility connected with trust? When it comes to the faith in Christ, the idea of faith is that we trust that Christ has accomplished everything necessary for our reconciliation with God and we hold to that hope. Christ himself has done this for He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And now I can partake in the same. 
We have been given a responsibility here to build a new world as God is reconciling the world to himself. He's doing this through the church. He's doing this through those in faith in Christ by not holding our sins against us and trusting us to preach the gospel. How many of us understand that? You see, the gospel is not just Jesus died on the cross to make my life easier. (laughs) If anything, Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave has made our life much more dangerous and more complicated. (laughs) Because there's this tension, this, this constant tension of the Christian that we are already saved but not yet fully perfected in Christ until we get to heaven. It's this ongoing process We are saved, we are new, yes, guaranteed, assured. But along the way, we still have work to do. (laughs) Yeah? Along the way, Christ is still working in us. God is still molding us and shaping us. And he's still building us up into the men and women he expects us to be. And all the while, God is entrusting us with the gospel message. So what are we doing with that? Do we just hold that and build our own private world around that and no one else is allowed in? Or or do we take the responsibility that God has trusted us with and we try to build a world outside of ourselves with it? The resurrection means a new world. Not just our individual worlds, but our corporate worlds, our communities. See, look here in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You know, God has every power and every capability to just snap his fingers or speak a word and everyone would automatically love him and be in Christ and just worship him. But if that were to happen, if God himself in his omniscience, which is all-knowing, is omnipotence, which is all-powerful. If he did that, would we really truly love him? We would just be robots obeying the puppet master. What kind of love and relationship is involved with that? You see here in verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to the world through us. So God is not making his appeal just to us. I mean, he's make, God does not make his appeal of reconciliation to those he's already reconciled. If we've been reconciled through Christ as the gospel teaches us, uh, then there's no more appealing to us. We got it. We get it. We understand it. We've embraced it. We've died to our sin. We are new in Christ. God has caused us to be ambassadors, making his appeal to the world through us. That's his plan. That's his direction. How are we doing on that? Now, does this mean we go out and we just beat people over the head with bully sticks and drag them into the church by their hair? And if it's up to you and me, I mean... you better get in church right now or else. Right? If you don't go to church, then something bad's going to happen. Scare people into the pulpit. 
or into the pews, right? Scare them into the church. I don't think that does much. I mean, for some people that might be beneficial, but others, I don't know. But an ambassador... For Christ, when we think of an ambassador, an ambassador is a representative, but an ambassador has the responsibility to unify and harmonize two parties that may not agree. Is that the role of the ambassador? You're the re- so if, if we send an ambassador from the United States to any other part of the world, that ambassador has a couple of responsibilities. Number one, that ambassador represents the United States of America. It represents the government of the United States. That's the first thing. The ambassador represents. But secondly, the, the, the ambassador has the responsibility to build goodwill and harmony between the United States and the government in which they are building that relationship. If we are ambassadors for Christ, we are ambassadors for a kingdom and a world that is not of this world. We are, we are representatives and ambassadors for Christ who reconciled us to God through His blood and through His resurrection, and then we are responsible for building a harmonious connection between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world, so that the kingdom of heaven will overtake and change the kingdom of the world. It's not that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world are equal in any way. It's the kingdom of heaven dominates and is superior to the kingdom of the world, but there has to be an ambassadorship through the church, through God's people, and God has designed it that way. Amazingly, isn't it? And all this comes through Christ's resurrection. comes as a result of that. But think about this. This new reality that we're in, this new world that we are to be ambassadors for, Here's the difficulty. If you've ever tried to witness to someone or if somebody's ever asked you questions about the gospel, the difficulty lies in trying to describe this new world that we're a part of, right? The language of the world is limited at best in describing the new world of the kingdom of heaven through Christ. That's kind of the dilemma here. And so this new kind of reality that we are a part of through Christ, it cannot be verified by human language. It cannot be measured. It cannot be uh, analyzed. It, it, it's difficult to explain. I mean, how do you explain resurrection? It's so foreign and so out there. How do you explain that? Especially in our modern mindset, we have the, the modern mind wants verifiable facts to justify the truth of a thing. If you can't measure it mathematically or scientifically, then it cannot be verified as true, then we must not trust it as true. And there's some, I mean, there's some good things there about that, right? But at the same time, how do we take a modern mindset of science and and certainty of math into describing something that is so mysterious as the gospel of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection? That's the challenge. The only way that this can ever happen is that the light of the truth of the gospel, the light of the truth of the resurrection, is the only way that the new reality of the world that we live in can ever be seen. You see, the language of men cannot adequately communicate and describe 
this new world that God is expecting us to communicate, right? Because if you remember in verse 19 and 20, God is reconciling the world to himself and he's entrusting us, the Christians, his people, with this message of the gospel. How do we communicate that? How do we allow people to see this new world when it cannot be measured scientifically and mathematically and verified through what we have tools to verify things with? We know that there are planets and stars and galaxies all around us in the universe because we have the tools to measure them with. If we wanted to leave this earth and go to another planet, we have practically the the we the skills and the technology to just about do that. I mean we can already we can easily go to the moon, we've done it. We've got the technology to go to Mars, that's that's coming. We've, we've got the ability to do these things. But how do we show a world of the heavens to a world of sinful fallen people? How do we show the mystery of Christ to a world that wants proof? The only way that happens is through the light of the gospel. God's love through Jesus Christ Christ's love for us on the cross, that love is the only thing that can give us the light to see what is unseen. Right? So, but in the light of the truth of the resurrection, that's the only way that the new world can be seen. It's the only way that we can see this new reality that that looks so different than the world that we live in. The only way to see it is through the light that only Christ himself can shine. And Christ has a light that shines the truth in the darkness. That light is also in us. And so when it comes to us explaining the gospel and explaining this new world that God wants us to share and communicate, it's not up to our words and our personality. It's up to the light of Christ that is in us as new men and women. If we are new, we have the light of Christ in us. And the person we're describing this new world to, we're trying to build ambassador relationships with, they have to see this light as well. See, the only way that we even understand that God loves us is because Jesus Christ expressed that love in a way that we could see. Sacrifice, death, then resurrection. Ponder that as we consider how to be ambassadors for Christ in this. You see, Christ's love, let's look back again at verse 14 to 15. Christ's love says that he died for all. That's the first thing everybody needs to see. Now, we can speak it all day long, but no one can understand it and grasp that until the, the light of the Holy Spirit awakens them to that. Now, does that mean that we don't share the gospel in the meantime? No, by all means, speak the word of God to anyone who will listen, any opportunity that we have. We are not the ones who control when and where the Holy Spirit shines light into anyone's intellect and into their soul. At best, we are the ambassadors for God and we speak 
the truth of the gospel. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, shines the light into somebody's mind. How do we know when that happens? We don't know. It's not up to us to turn the light switch on. It's up to God to do that. The only thing He is entrusting us with is the message. We speak the truth. We live the truth. A message speaks louder through living it than it does just preaching it. Amen? And then people see that. When they see that we, that when, when people see that we sacrifice for them, sacrifice our time, our money, our efforts, our food, our love, when we sacrifice our love towards someone, that love of Christ pours out. And then perhaps God will use that to enlighten them to see. You see that? So how, what does this look like? This reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation that we are to be a part of is for us to just reach out and beseech others, men, to beseech others to be reconciled with God. That's the message. Be reconciled to God through Christ. That's the message. Because to be a Christian is to be reconciled to God through Christ. Being a Christian does not mean we show up at church on Sunday morning. Being a Christian does not mean we've been born into a Christian nation or a Christian culture. To be a Christian means to be reconciled with God. And the only thing we can do is just speak it. We can live it. But we have to be it. We cannot just speak words and it have any effect. In order for our ambassadorship to be effective, we, we individually must first be made new in Christ. We don't manufacture that. We don't cause that. God causes that. Amen? But then we also have to be attentive and willing to respond to that. It's a both and. Right? Not an either or. So the idea that either God loves you and he saves you or he does not and he rejects you is not biblical. God loves us enough that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. It is a both and. He both loves us and we love him back. Amen. But now we don't initiate that love. That's that's where the gospel message is. We don't initiate the love with God. God initiates the love with us. Because if we initiate it, we're just building our own world. How successful are human beings at building a good world that thrives and <laughs> prospers and that has no faults in it? Clearly we've got thousands of years of history of showing where we've had successes, but those successes are... Limited at best, and but at the root of our ability to build a world is that we fail. Only God himself can build this new world that he wants. So, this week, here's my challenge for us all. We have seven days before we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Next week, next Sunday, we will celebrate that. Let's hope there's no snow on the ground, but so far... There's a strong chance we could have snow next week. I don't know. It's springtime. It's been a cold winter. Let's just celebrate. 
Do we prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday the same way that we prepare our hearts for Christmas? The season of Advent is a season of anticipation for the coming of Christ. At Easter time, we can prepare our hearts to anticipate the resurrection as well. And that resurrection ushers in a new reality. And that's what we celebrate. Amen? So this week, I challenge you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if you want. Ponder what this ministry of reconciliation looks like. If you're taking notes, I also challenge you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is very rich. I mean, I could preach probably two months worth of sermons out of 1 Corinthians 15 on this idea of reconciliation and resurrection. So if you want to look through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's a lot there. And then the passages that we looked at in the book of Acts, even the stories in the Gospels of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and his last week, the Passion Week of Christ, those are wonderful passages of Scripture to meditate on. Are we going to come to church next week anticipating his resurrection, or is it just going to be another Sunday? This is a challenge for me, too. I'm busy. I've got so much on my plate. (laughs) Am I going to even remember to prepare my heart? Amen. It's important for us to remember. Let me close this in prayer and then we'll close with a hymn, okay? Father God, you are so good to love us enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And Lord, for that we give you praise. And I pray, dear God, that you would remind us exactly what you are doing through this reconciliation through your son. Teach us, Father, to preach that message that you've trusted with us to reconcile the rest of the world to you as you've reconciled us to you. Teach us, God, to shine the light of Christ, first of all, ensuring that that light is bright in us already, and then we allow that to shine forth. God, we thank you. Speak to us, Lord, this week. Draw us to your presence. Allow us to celebrate just as these people celebrated as we read of Jesus' triumphal entry. They shouted, Hosanna in the highest. Teach us what that attitude looks like. We praise you, God, for that. And we thank you for the willing trust you've given us. May we not let you down. May we preach the gospel well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.